Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, continuing our mini-series, Fascism in Fiction. This week we are continuing to talk about movies that encourage us to laugh at Nazism. This time we are talking about 2019's Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit is a dark comedy written by Taika Waititi. It's adopted from a book by Kristen Lewin called Caging Skies. Waititi wrote the screenplay, not having read the book, his mother just explained the premise to him, in 2011, after his first feature film, Boy, did well in the New Zealand cinema. Now, Waititi spent a very long time trying to get this movie made. He was really only able to do it eventually after his major successes in the, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe crap stuff. Like, that. that's how he ended up being able to make the movie. It was eventually a very big success. It made a whole lot of money off of not a whole lot of money. Uh, And it was actually also nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture and won the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. So a very successful film. A little bit more about the filmmaker, about the director. Waititi is the director's father's name, uh, but his legal name, according to his birth certificate in New Zealand, is Cohen. Uh, which is his mother's name. She is of Russian Jewish descent. His father is of Maori descent. So this is another line in movies made by Jewish people who are inviting us to laugh at Nazism, an extremely important detail given what this movie is ultimately about. So like I said, the script didn't get a lot of success in Hollywood until YTT's other successful projects gave him a bigger audience and remit with the industry. He was eventually able to make the movie in 2018. It was filmed in only two months and was released the following year, 2019. The plot is about a boy, a young boy, Johannes Belzer, who is called Jojo by everybody in the film, essentially. He's a 10-year-old and a member of the Hitler Youth during the conclusion of World War II. He lives with his mother named Rosie, uh, and his father is, is sort of in an ambiguous away state for the war. His father is presented in this sort of like ambiguous, oh, you know, your father's just gone type way in precisely the way that a child would understand it. You know, he just knows that his dad isn't there. He doesn't know why. Like, and we, the audience, are not entirely sure if his father is dead, if his father is missing. You know, we don't know. The the film is just ambiguous about this. And this is the central conceit of the movie. It's seeing Nazism through the eyes of an innocent boy, Jojo. Now, Jojo, the character, is in love with Adolf Hitler as a sort of surrogate father. He imagines him as an imaginary friend, played by the director, Taika Waititi, uh, and he plays Hitler incredibly well. He appears in Jojo's psyche uh, to, to sort of like psych Jojo up for things, to provide commentary on what's happening, and to help him out psychologically. If you saw the trailer for this movie, you might have seen the two of them, like, excitedly exclaiming Heil Hitler at each other, you know, in, in, in a sort of like psych your friend up for something type way. This is because to Jojo, Hitler is just an exciting, important man who everybody loves, uh, and he wants to be close with him because he feels inadequate. This is because Jojo is revealed at his Hitler youth training, which is becoming increasingly militarized because of the Soviets' invasion of the Germans. Uh, so he's revealed at his Hitler youth training to be a kid. You know, he is afraid of things that a child might be afraid of, weapons and war and stuff like that. And he is also unwilling to be violent for no reason. He won't kill a rabbit 
just for no reason, just in order to prove that he's a man, hence his nickname, Jojo Rabbit. He then tries to be brave and demonstrate his bravery by throwing a grenade as part of his training, but he fails and he hurts himself and is uh, awoken several months later, horribly scarred and actually quite injured. He's given make work at home under a bored Nazi named Kleisendorf, who had been the person who was in charge of his training. Now, this is the first moment in the movie where we sort of get a revelation into the, the cracks forming in Jojo's perception of Nazism. Previously, it was this like fun summer camp type experience, you know, where like he was going to learn how to be a good Nazi and everybody was going to like him. But then it turns out that he was a failure at that and that the people who were in charge of it were incompetent and let him hurt himself. You know, more and more cracks start to appear in what Nazism is supposed to be as the film goes on. Eventually, Jojo learns that his mother is secretly hiding a Jewish girl named Elsa in their house. Jojo is initially terrified, but then thinks that he can use this as an opportunity to learn about Jewish people because he thinks that they're scary and that it's his job to educate people about them. Eventually, though, Jojo develops a sort of puppy love for her. And also, gradually, as the film goes on, we learn that Jojo's mother is a, an anti-Nazi activist. You know, she is operating within Germany. She's a German citizen. She's operating within Germany against the Nazis. We never really learn how or why or what she does, because again, this movie is from the perspective of a child. He, he doesn't know. He doesn't understand. The movie is very keen on us seeing and experiencing the real love that his mother has for him and the real love that he has for his mother. However, he is also yearning to be recognized as a man. He's yearning to have a male role model. It's something that he finds himself, feels himself really lacking. Things continue to break down in the movie as the Gestapo, who are depicted as childishly believing in or at least encouraging Jojo's sort of youthful monster-under-the-bed type anti-Semitism. So the Gestapo investigate their house because they think that it's possible that a Jewish person is hiding there. They do find this Jewish girl, but Jojo and the girl play it off as if, as if she were his sister, who is in fact dead. Uh, they use his sister's identification papers. They're aided in this by a clearly disillusioned and, you know, interested in protecting children, Kleisendorf, again, this disillusioned Nazi who Jojo is sort of working for. The tone continues to descend into darker and darker places as the circle closes around their town and Germany itself. You know, Germany as a country is essentially depicted as this town. You know, we, we don't really get any image of any place outside of it. Eventually, Jojo stumbles upon his mother hanged in the public square for having been an anti-Nazi activist. This is revealed expertly by showing us her, her shoes just in the frame, you know, right at the eye level of a child. It's, 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 it's a very striking scene. The tone continues to spiral out of control as Jojo is almost killed by the invading Soviet army as a member of the Jungvolk, uh, which is the fighting force of the Hitler Youth. He's, by this point, been drummed into service along with essentially everybody else trying to throw anybody that they had against the Soviets, which is in fact what happened. By the very conclusion of the war, the Soviets and the other members of the Allies were fighting elderly people and, you know, boys as young as 10 and 12. 
as they were invading Germany. However, he is aided finally again by Kleisendorf, who uh, yells to the Soviets that this person doesn't belong here. He rips Jojo's jacket off of him and sends him running away, screaming at him that he's Jewish and that he needs to get out so that the Soviets won't kill him. Just as Jojo rounds the corner, we hear these Soviet guns cracking off in a firing squad, killing this man. Jojo then goes back to his home and lies to Elsa, who has been hiding inside the house this whole time, that these bombs are fireworks. They're celebrating. They're celebrating that Germany has won the war. He wants this to be the case because he's worried that if Germany loses and she is liberated, that she will leave him. And remember, you know, he's in love with her. Eventually, she realizes that Jojo is lying, which is part of a subplot that I haven't described involving a lost lover of hers. Finally, an imaginary Hitler fully transforms into something like, like the real Hitler. You know, he, he behaves and acts finally like a real Hitler figure before Jojo. He's loud. He's a vocal brute. He's arguing about violence and domination and calling Jojo out for not being sufficient man, you know, not defending Germany, not fulfilling his destiny. Jojo, in a rage, finally rejecting this image that he's built up in his head about what Germany is supposed to be, what he's supposed to be, uh, theatrically, quote-unquote, kicks his imaginary friend out of his window and therefore out of his mind forever. As the Allies liberate their town, he and Elsa then stand outside on their porch uh, in a liberated Germany and dance to the German version of David Bowie's Heroes, which incidentally was sort of an anthem for the fall of the Berlin Wall in the early 1990s. That's the conclusion of the movie. We get two orphans who are left alone in this country, but it's a positive tone at the very conclusion, you know, Hitler is defeated. This is a success story, ultimately. So how does this movie fare in its depiction of fascism? First of all, I think that the tone of the movie is almost exactly spot on. It is funny at moments and gut-wrenching, terrifying at others. It really well captures this perspective of a child encountering Nazism. I think that this is really vital for the movie because otherwise, you know, if this was just like a movie told from like, you know, an adult's eye view about this child's experience, it would just be cruel. It would just be terrifying. Instead, we get to see it through the child's eyes and experience Jojo's disillusionment with Nazis, which, you know, would otherwise be impossible. How could you possibly make a movie from an adult perspective about somebody being disillusioned with Nazism, right? It, it just wouldn't fly. Another thing that this movie definitely has going for it is that it is a fully fictional story. Fictional people, fictional places, fictional events. But this really captures, again, the tone. It's surreal and childlike, then suddenly violent and terrible. There's a really interesting play between imaginary thoughts and imaginary actions versus real ideologies and real thoughts. You know, a child's game about hiding somebody in, you know, inside of your walls is juxtaposed with the fact that people really did that in order to save Jewish people from being murdered. You know, a, a child's game about trying to understand a disturbing world is contrasted with the nonsense ideology of German anti-Semitism in World War II. The other wonderful thing about this movie is that it shows us that regular people, even potentially interpersonally very good and loving ones, could fall to Nazism, 
right? Jojo is a good person, the movie depicts him as, and, and he very clearly is. He is a loving, caring boy who feels alone in the world and wants to be loved and wants to be respected. It, it, it just makes sense that somebody in his situation might become excited by, might become interested in Nazism and fascism because that's where all the other boys are, that's where all the other people are, that's what everybody else is doing. That's what he knows his father was doing. You know, he knows that his father was in the army. So he's just following their example. You, you see his innocence and it, you really see how it makes sense to him, you know, how he could become really seduced by this. Honestly, this is an excellent movie about Nazism and what it was and how it felt for millions of people. Um, we, we, we see it as a, as a place that a lot of people found a home, a purpose and an ideology, you know, a friend to get them through tough times. And I think it's only in a dark comedy that starts us there. You know, it starts us with a relatable Nazism, starts us with a Nazism that you could like imagine somebody that you know becoming interested in because of what's happening to them and then gradually and tragically and comedically pulls back the veil and shows us what was really happening. We also see a lot of different types of people in a Nazi regime, which is something that many, many movies just don't even try. You know, we see a naive young boy who just wants to be loved and to feel welcome and to feel like he belongs, like Jojo. We see Kleisendorf, the German who saves Jojo, who is sort of just going through the motions. You know, he doesn't really believe. He just is doing this for power and because it's what he knows what to do. In his mother, we see a resistor, somebody who opposes the regime, something that we don't often see depicted among German civilians in film, with the exception of Schindler's List, which will be the topic of next week's episode. And finally, in the Gestapo, we see the true believers, who are presented as at once comedic and also utterly terrifying, you know, the, the objects of true horror as they walk through and are the boogeymen, you know, are the the villains are the monsters that Jojo, the child, has been trying to fight. I think that this is one of the best movies about fascism and Nazism that I have ever seen. It depicts how it has this insidious call to people, and it also depicts its ultimate ruin and the destruction that it gives to the people who believe in it. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. You can also check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thank you very much. And I will talk to you on Thursday.